Chapter Twenty Two of Cross Currents by Eleanor Potter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. After that first look in the child's blue eyes, Doctor Spencer had not doubted that he had found the real Margaret, but he determined to make no mistake. The child should first be taken to Mrs. McGinnis, and if she and Bobby said it was the same little girl that had come to them four years before, he would be sure indeed. As far as Margaret was concerned, he knew of no way but to tell the truth, for she too must help in the identification. "'And it's my mother? My really, truly mother?' she demanded eagerly. "'We hope so, dear, and we think so. I am very sure it is your mother.' "'She didn't die?' "'No, dear.' There was a long pause. The doctor and Margaret were on their way to Houghtonsville and the little girl's eyes were fixed on the flying trees outside the window. At last she turned and regarded the man at her side with a troubled gaze. "'Dr. Spencer, does mother want me?' she asked timidly. "'More than anything else in the world,' returned the man, a little unsteadily. "'She has longed for you all these years.' "'Oh!' breathed the little girl ecstatically. "'I like to be wanted, you know.' The doctor smiled a bit sadly. He, too, would like to be wanted, in this particular case. Then he looked down at the little girl near him. He was glad that there would be no heartache in the first glance that the mother would catch of her child. Margaret, in the dainty new garments the doctor had brought for her, looked almost as well-fed and well-cared for as had the little five-year-old maid left in the Grand Central Station four years before. His thoughts were interrupted by a light touch on his arm. Dr. Spencer, please, began Margaret again. Is my mother's house big, real big? Why, yes, returned the doctor. And has it got grass round it and trees? Yes. Margaret's eyes began to shine. She gave a delightful little bound in the seat as she demanded. And is she rich, awful rich? The doctor frowned. This anxiety for wealth was not quite what he liked to see at just this time. Margaret noticed the frown and the hesitating manner. Her face fell. Oh, dear, I'm so sorry. I did so hope she was rich. Why? asked the doctor almost sharply. Margaret sighed. Well, you see, she began timidly, this all the Whalens and Timmy Carney and Miss Lindebaum and, oh, lots of others, and they haven't ever been to Mont Lawn. Some of them couldn't, anyhow, you know, because they're too big, you know. And I thought if my mother's house was big and had trees and grass, and if she could afford it, why, maybe she'd ask him to come and see us, you know. Oh! said the doctor with a broad smile as he thought of his fears of a moment before. "'Well, we'll see about that later, my dear. I am positive, however, that your mother will be glad to have you tell her all about the Whalens and Timmy and the rest, and she will have something to propose that will make them happy, I'm sure. And now we're almost there ourselves.' At will, Dr. Spencer lifted Margaret into his waiting carriage and told old Nathan to drive straight to the Merton farmhouse. 
Much to his disappointment, however, Margaret failed to recognize either Bobby or his mother. After all, it ain't so strange, doctor, comforted Mrs. McGinnis. She was such a little thing, and she stayed such a little bit of time. Besides, Bobby's changed a lot, and I reckon I don't quite look the same. But it is she. It is the little girl that came to you, begged the doctor. Why, yes, I think so, assured Mrs. McGinnis. But you see, I didn't have her long, and, and she cried most the time she was there. Poor dear. The doctor was silent. The child, too, was silent. A look of terror was creeping into her blue eyes. Is that my mother? she asked at last in a low voice. No, no, dear, murmured the doctor abstractedly. Then he added, turning to Mrs. McGinnis. Why, woman, I'd stake my life that she's Margaret Kendall. There was the name on the handkerchief. Besides, she looks like Mrs. Kendall. She has her eyes. Yes, I know, acknowledged Mrs. McGinnis. And it's her, no doubt. Still, if there was a way somehow, if Miss Kendall could see her first, before you had told her you had found her, if— I have it, cut in the doctor suddenly, his face alight as a swift thought came to him. Keep Margaret here. I'll be back. And with the words he was gone. Down at Five Oaks, a little later, he forced himself to walk calmly up the steps between the two stone lions. Mrs. Kendall herself met him on the veranda. You've not given up? She faltered nervously as he took her hand in both of his. No, dear friend, he said quietly, wondering if she could hear the exultant pounding of the heart so near her own. I shall never give up. I have come with with another story. A swift red showed in Mrs. Kendall's cheeks as she sat down. She remembered a certain other story that this same man had told her not long before. The doctor saw the blush and divined its cause, a fact which did not tend to steady his voice. I have found a new object for your love, a new candidate for your sympathy, Mrs. Kendall. A little girl whose short life has seen such misery, a child who— I believe has no mother unless yourself will be one to her. Will you love her? Quick tears sprang to Mrs. Kendall's eyes. Poor little dear, I love her already, she said gently. And will you take her into your home? Doctor, you wouldn't. You couldn't ask me to do that. I know. It is much to ask, he said. For a moment the woman opposite did not speak. Then she began hurriedly. I have learned much in the past year, Doctor. I have suffered much. I have given up much. But there is yet one spot that quivers at the lightest touch. There is yet one thing I cannot bring myself to change. You must know what that is. Yes, I know. But I had hoped. The doctor paused, leaving his sentence unfinished. I cannot, Doctor. No foot but mine has ever crossed the threshold of that room. No hand but mine has ever touched a toy or book. They are as my dear little girl left, left them, don't you see? Can't you understand? The doctor bowed his head. I understand, he said gently. It was a long minute before Mrs. Kendall spoke again. Where is the child? Tell me about her. 
I brought her with me. Oh? There was real pain in Mrs. Kendall's voice. Then she is here? Yes. But tell me about her. The doctor hesitated. Should he give this mother the history of those four years of suffering, misery, and want? That the child was Margaret Kendall, he did not doubt. And if she was, the mother would insist some time on knowing all that he knew of those four years. Perhaps, after all, it might be as well to tell it now, when she could not know for the time being, that it was to the life story of her own child to which she was listening. The doctor raised his head. I will tell you, he said. I will begin with the time when, as a very little girl, she was set to work sewing buttons in an attic room in New York. Slowly, softly, and very tenderly, the doctor began his story, telling everything that he had been able to discover of Margaret's daily life during those four years, omitting only the part that might serve to identify her as Margaret Kendall. From Margaret's own lips he had learned much, and this, together with what he had discovered from other sources, made his story complete. Very gently he touched upon the want and suffering, and pictured the lonely little maid with the whole world to fight alone. He told of the attic sweatshop and of the cellar where tiny little fingers pasted bags. He told of the dinnerless days and supperless nights, and of the struggles to maintain the cooperative housekeeping establishment in one corner of the Whalen basement. He pictured, too, the result of all the neglect and abuse, and gently touched upon the qualities that made the poor little half-starved waif the terror of the alley. Then he told of Montlon, and of the blessed change it had wrought, of the sunshine and cheer that one little maid had brought back to the alley. He finished by picturing Margaret as she was now, with her winsomeness and her hunger to be loved and wanted. As the last word fell from the doctor's lips, Mrs. Kendall sprang to her feet. Her lips trembled, and her eyes were wet. "'I will take the child,' she said brokenly. "'Bring her to me.' Not trusting himself to speak, the man turned and hurried down the steps. Half an hour later he passed once more between the stone lines, leading a nine-year-old little girl by the hand. Silently, old Mrs. Barrett admitted them to the little reception-room and went to call her mistress. Dr. Spencer was sitting opposite the door, and he saw Mrs. Kendall's face as she entered the room. There was a long, wondering look, then a rapturous cry. Margaret, Margaret, my own little girl! And Mrs. Kendall was on her knees, with the child in a close embrace. Very softly, the doctor turned to go. The place was sacred. He had no right to be there. He had almost reached the door when there was a swift step at his side. A slender hand touched his arm. Mrs. Kendall, with Margaret still clasped to her heart, was looking with luminous eyes into his face. And you, she faltered, it is to you I owe it all. For an infinitesimal moment she paused. Then the rich red dyed her face. I'll be as happy now as you like she whispered and the doctor was just as glad to see my mother as i was said margaret afterwards else why did he kiss her too the end end of chapter twenty two 
Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama. End of Cross Currents by Eleanor H. Porter